Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Let's get right to it. It's been a fun weekend leading into today with uh, Chicago Mayor Ron DeSantis visiting the city he didn't know he was the mayor of, but he is. Uh, The mayoral candidates in Chicago, the aspirants seeking to displace Ron DeSantis as mayor of the city of Chicago, in unison uh, called out the FOP and Ron DeSantis for daring to visit Chicago, the city over which he's the mayor, the city over which he has control, and uh, address the FOP, including Paul Vallis. Paul Vallis releasing on Friday, I wholeheartedly agree with Governor Pritzker. There's simply no place in Chicago for a right-wing extremist like Ron DeSantis. And I'm disappointed in FOP leadership for inviting him to speak to officers. DeSantis's record of trying to erase the LGBTQ community, banning books on black history, and much more is not in line with my values, the values of our community, or the values of the rank-and-file police officers who I believe have no interest in getting swept up in culture wars and National Republican Party politics. I want to build trust between all of Chicago's communities and the police by holding everyone accountable because that is the only way we can make our city safer. The decision by the FOP leadership makes that job harder. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, Taking uh, only calls, only calls for people who want to applaud Paul Vallis for standing up to incumbent Chicago Mayor Ron DeSantis. I don't want to hear any agreement with my position. Not interested. Only calls supporting Paul Vallis. So here's your opportunity, all you keyboard cowboys. And I'll run through all the arguments and the uh, name-calling from the weekend in response to um, the expression of my position. Great. I love it. Now's your big chance. Invited. Call in. Only people supporting what Paul Vallis said, or Willie Wilson or any of the other candidates, because I all said varieties of the same thing, but specifically Vallis. Your candidate, Willie Wilson, said the same thing? Specifically for Paul Vallis. Specifically for for Paul Vallis. That's what I want to hear, particularly from those who um, were buying this idea that Paul Vallis is a closet Republican. Only defenders of Paul Vallis. Amy, would you like to begin? Well, you I can't talk because I don't agree with you. I mean, he made a mistake. I've been okay. For, let me first of all start that I was shocked because I have done countless, countless rallies with him to reopen our schools, and I have had conversations with him like, "Look at Florida, look what they're doing. They've been open. Look at Wisconsin. Look at Iowa." But it was mostly Florida, and it's not even about masking. This is just about the basics of getting the schools open. 
So I was a little shocked. I feel like a family member um, has embarrassed the family, so to speak. But they're still family. And I don't think that this was Paul Vallis. This was his people that put this stupid arse press release out. There, there was no need, even, need to even mention it. Why did he even break? Who cares? Because he's being endorsed by the FOP, so he had to denounce DeSantis's visit. I just, and I've called him, <clears throat> he, we have not communicated yet, and I normally talk to him because he is a dear friend of mine and has been for um, a long time, but after, especially during the pandemic is when we really bonded, and he's talked me off the ledge many times when I just couldn't take it anymore, but uh, somebody said to me, <laughs> it's like Michael Corleone, it's not personal, it's just business. Now, he didn't say that to me, but somebody just said, you know, we, you're still going to support him, right? And you know what, Dan, I am, especially after the crap I saw this weekend with other candidates. I'm still supporting him, but I'm doesn't mean that I'm upset. Not upset, because I am. Uh, I know Vallis is running down, because I know, running around, I know people who talk to him say, this this helped me, and, uh, we, you know, this, this advances the flag, and uh, everything's good. So, no, no, no problem. Don't worry <laughs> about what... Uh, you know, naysayers like Proft have to say, don't worry about that. It's it's all good. It's all fine. Okay. No, it's not. There's 102, what, registered Republicans in Chicago who many were going to support him who are now not supporting him. 102? I don't know. How, that's the last I heard. How many? Uh, is it changed? What? Registered Republicans? There's only 102 registered Republicans No, I, 102,000. Excuse me. Excuse oh. me. Um, yeah. But uh, come on. Come on. I want, I want the attacks. Where are all the... The, the those who are so brave on social media. Come on, chess beaters. All the rough and tumble guys that explain the Chicago way and how Illinois politics works. And what do I know? I never won a race. You know, which, unlike Paul Vallis, of course, has won many. Has he? Uh, but come on. And this and that. And I supported Darren Bay. I want to come on. All of it. All the invective. Where is it? Too early? The chess beaters aren't early risers. We'll, we'll give you time all morning. I don't need any support, and I appreciate those who agree with my position. But maybe this will make it easier. Maybe uh, John Cass, he'll give you some cover so it's okay to call in and see how you do in real time as opposed to your, the pot shots on social media. I just wear all the, the deep thinkers and the tough guys. I love it. Come on. Don't be shy. Uh... John Cass tweeting out, Paul Vallis has one obligation to Chicago, get into the mayoral runoff. Appeasing DeSantis Republicans and or entering a trap by radical left Democrats and corrupt media isn't the priority. Protecting the broken city and its people is the priority. There you go. Does that help? Now you feel safe. You're in a safe space. You can just um, you nuzzle up to John Cass's bosom and repeat what he said. Where are these Vallis defenders? I mean, I, I, I appreciate your uh, nuanced argument, Amy. That's fine. Yeah, I don't agree with he did, but I'm still supporting him because he's the best choice. Whatever. But I want – but that's not, that's not the argument I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. This is what he had to do. This was smart even. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. Do you want to know how naive I am when it was announced that uh, DeSantis was coming into town today? I talked to Mike Scott, and I said, oh, I bet Paul Vallis will be there on stage <laughs> Yeah, well, no. Blonde, hello. Greg Schomburg. 
If you can't trust a man with a message that is critical to the entire essence of what is at issue within our city before an election, what makes you think that you can trust him afterwards? And yes, Dan, I understand that he's the best person. And Amy, I understand your perspective. But here's my main point. Every time we get an electorate motivated, specifically in Illinois, much less the United States, we have people that put their foot in their mouth and screw it all up. And it's really getting old. And when you have an electorate that is telling us that they don't have confidence in the party and are not going to vote, we did ourselves no hope whatsoever over the weekend. Thanks. All right, thanks for the call, Greg. But that's, a, that's, that's agreeing with me. I mean, that's well said. I don't want agreement with me. I want to be educated. I want to be told my what fors. Come on, tell me what time it is. As uh, people have been telling me from the outset of this campaign when I said, look, I don't trust Paul Vallis and explained ad nauseum why. Alex in Hinsdale. Hi, good morning, guys. Uh, Dan and Amy, I, I equate this to when Mayor Daley uh, was, was cordial with President Bush, took him for a helicopter ride, and guess what? He got everything he wanted out of the federal government. He could be cordial to who he needed to be. Paul Vallis understands that if he gets in, he can possibly save this city, which used to be my favorite in the world. When you're under the knife, you're looking to be saved. Right now, Chicago is in critical condition. We've got to have uh, a surgeon. And my opinion, Paul Vallis is the only surgeon out of the group that can save Chicago. All right, thanks for the call, Alex. Um, we got a text, well, an email to, to the show. I'm voting for Willie Wilson. I never trusted Vallis. Dan and Amy always came across as an Uber PC company man with no backbone to stand up to the mob. Wilson no, no, isn't no. perfect, but there's no good real choices here. You don't, have, you don't understand. What? Paul Vallis is pandering and appeasing and capitulating now. But when he gets in. That's when he's going to pop out of the box and he's going to take on all the entrenched interests that he won't take on during the campaign or for, you know, the last 40 years. That's when he's going to do it. You see, if you just give him the keys to the fifth floor, then, then it's all been leading up to this. All of the pandering and the pretend the dalliances with Republicans and the trying to find an office to. Occupy, governor, lieutenant governor, mayor, thought about running for Cook County Board President as a Republican, passed on it. All of that has been leading up to that moment Text message where the radical left and all the institutional interests will realize they've ushered in a Trojan horse to the mayor's office. And he will spring out of that Trojan horse and he will institute citywide school choice. And he will wow the socialists on the city council in addition to all of those uh, public sector unions and the rent seekers and C-suites. He will enchant the Chicago press corps by instituting stop and frisk and, and empowering the police. And he'll 
reduce city headcount and reduce city spend and cut new deals with the public sector unions to usher the city out of de facto bankruptcy and and, and it'll be great, and Ken Griffin's going to come back, and everybody's going to come back. You just have to get him in there, you see, and then, then, pay no attention to the mealy-mouthed recitation of the leftist talking points and ad hominem when it comes to a DeSantis or anybody else. Pay no attention to the lies he's telling now about banning books on black history or erasing LGBT communities. Pay no attention to any of that. He's an honorable man doing the ugly things that we don't have the courage to do, you see. And that all comes to fruition if you just pay no attention to what he says and does or has said and done over the last 40 years and just trust him. Stop thinking and just place your trust in the latest Chicago political savior you see how could he coddle up too to governor pritzker and that ugh, it was i got it. it i got it i i get i get it i'm picking up what you're laying down say no more george in naperville and in the words of the great group chicago does anybody really know what time it is <laughs> <laughs> yes Indeed, George. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 30, or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's signaturebank.bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, signaturebank.bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, Signature Bank. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Come on. Open lines, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. Want to hear from those Vallis supporters to give me a proper lashing in real time? Waiting eagerly for all you keyboard killers to call in and embarrass me with your political chops and intellectual heft. I just, Here, let me, let me help you. What? Let me help well, can you. I, can I, all right. I mean, I just thrown out some arguments, so maybe you just pick up one and run with it if you're having problems getting started. Um, what's DeSantis doing in Chicago anyway? He should have waited till after the election. Um, what? Who said that? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Me? Sure. Yeah, sure. Well, everybody wants to know what he's going to be here at 3, th- three o'clock, 3.30. He's going to be in Elmhurst at the Knights of Columbus, and it's a p- event with police officers only and their family members. Paul Vallis uh, was right not to appease or to embrace, embrace 
It was the word that was used. Embrace Ron DeSantis. Can't embrace Ron DeSantis. That was right. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a six to one Democrat to Republican in Chicago. So, of course, he can't embrace Ron DeSantis. So you just have to understand it's just politics. Why are you making such a thing about it? How's that one? Anybody want to pick up that that ball and run with it? Come on. I, I just still it makes me sick that he's cozying up to and even quoting Governor Pritzker. What? I, 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 what? He doesn't want to get involved in the Republican Party's culture wars. You know, says the guy who was running commercials talking about uh, protecting abortion on demand, all nine months, taxpayer funded in Illinois and banning guns. Doesn't want to get involved in those things. Come on. What? What? Where is everybody? And and there there is no don't say gay bill. That's not what it is, a parental rights bill. And all it means is you're not going to teach sex ed for kids in kindergarten through third grade, which he didn't is mention anything about it, don't say gay. He didn't, he didn't mention anything about it, don't say gay bill. He said erasing the LGBT community. That's what yeah, Ron DeSantis' is record of trying to erase the LGBTQ community. Yeah, yeah, that's and what, banning books on black history. It's just what he's got to say. It's not a big deal. We're not supposed to take seriously the things candidates say if they're our candidate. But he said those aren't his values. And it just reminded me of when Rahm Emanuel didn't want Chick-fil-A in Chicago because they don't agree with my values. Another closet Republican, Tiny Dancer. Look how well that worked out. <laughs> See, we got to go return to Rom, which is sort of what I said Vallis is essentially offering without using those words. But that's what it is. And remember the glory days of Rom. Remember how good it was? Yeah. Ed in Oakbrook, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, uh, my point is this. I'm hoping I'm on Team Chewy only because sure. I want uh, the blacks to go against the browns. And this is the only way. This is the first time I've ever heard that a black person was going against a brown person. And I think the brown people are more reasonable than the black people. And I think this will shake up the whole nation. And that's why DeSantis is here. So Paul Vallis is a complete waste of time. He won't get anything accomplished because we're, what base does he have? It's probably lower than, than, uh, than Lori Lightfoot's base. So Ed, do you live in, you're, you're in Oak Park, right? So you don't have a boat? No, I got property in the city, but I can't vote. Can I correct. beg you? Pl- All right, so you're not going to vote. Okay. Chewy Garcia is not the answer. That is a thug mob organization. I was there on Saturday. And, and, what, and, and let me I'm ask you, Amy, you, what do you have they, now? That is scary. What do you have now, Amy? You got a thug. You got the biggest B in the whole city, baby, the whole world sitting yeah. in that office. She's like a little monster. And you and you and who are the other guys? Willie Wilson. Yeah. Maybe no. a real nice guy. He's not going to get anything done. Paul Vallis. Yeah. Real nice guy. Maybe a good neighbor. He ain't going to get anything done. No, Chewy, I think he's our he's best not going to get anything done, but it's going to be taking over the city from. The, the black that have dominated, the Kim Foxes of the world, they're the ones who brought this city down to its knees. Wake up. You're wrong, Ed. You're wrong. And you've fallen into the trap that pretty much every uh, cohort across all the candidates has fallen into. Let's just play racial politics forever. Let's pretend that Chewy and Lightfoot are different because they're different races. They're both they share the, they share they share the same ideology. So you know, at some point in time, in a faraway universe, maybe enough Chicago residents will come to the conclusion that 
it matters what's between your ears, what's going on between your ears, not uh, what skin color you are. That is mission critical when it comes to the city. But that's not today. And so all of the candidates, every single one of them, and their respective supporters, for the most part, are playing the same dismal racial politics, just as as Ed expressed it. Most wouldn't express it that way, but they're thinking the same thing. Black versus brown, white versus brown, white versus black. Really? And you wonder why the city has descended into barbarism. Because that is not just the thinking of the candidates. It is the thinking of the candidates as reflective of their respective constituencies. But you go ahead. Stick to it. Stick to black versus brown and brown versus white and black versus white and so on and so forth. We'll never get out of this hole we're in. Many text messages are coming in. Dan and Amy, you, you gots to play the game to get elected in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, this is uh, flawlessly being played, right? That's, that, I love that. that it's so great, uh, that aphorisms. Mm-hmm. You got to do what you got to do. To get it done. You got to play the game. The did, did, did. Okay, so give me an assessment of the game, uh, how the game is being played by Vallis. Another, I liked him when he was on the school board in Philadelphia. He's unrecognizable to me right now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm just, well, I mean, I'm, I'm heartbroken. But chameleons adopt to their adapt to their environment. Mm-hmm. Well, come on, Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. Hey, I'm going to throw a few names out there. Alk Elk Gardens, A, B, C, D, and E School, Arnabon Temp School off of Halstead, Washington Daily School on 67th, Jane Adams and the Turner Julie Language Academy. I was a construction superintendent in a previous lifetime. Paul Vallis, when he was school superintendent, during the summertime, he would show up, and he would decide whether or not you were going to get your school done in time, and he would get after you. He was a very knowledgeable man. I, I believe that if you give him a, a chance to – I'm not here to poo-poo anybody – but if you were to give him a chance to be the mayor, I think he would do a great job. The biggest news story is, is that Wisconsin won the drunkest state award again. We beat you guys. So Congratulations. Just to let you have that. Congratulations. Way to defend your title. Thanks yeah. for the call, Chuck. Yeah, no, it's not. All right. Paul Vallis would be a great general contractor. He'd be a great budget director. Uh, playing the game, Dan. You don't understand. I know. I don't understand anything about Chicago politics. Thank God there's so many people around on Twitter. And social media to explain it to me, to oh, do I some know. Chicago so explaining weird. for me. Right. No, I, I get it. I get it. The way to the, play the game here is not to present a big vision for the city, Daniel Burnham, uh, but to spend your political capital trying to credentialize yourselves, yourself with people that you can't get. Brilliant. I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ah, we're here. I die. I see what you're doing. Oh, genius. Okay. Oh, speaking of uh, race hustling politics, yes. uh, Mike Scott reported on it uh, just at the bottom of the hour. But here's a triple threat at uh, GOTV rally in Grand Carsing neighborhood over the weekend. Any vote, any vote coming on the side side for somebody not named Lightfoot is a vote for Chewy Garcia. 
or Paul Vallis. That's it. That's it. If you want them Number controlling two. your fate and your destiny, then stay home. Uh -oh. Then don't vote. But we've got to do better. Right? We have this moment, this opportunity to take control and of our own destiny, and that means we've got to get out and vote. No one can stay home. Oh, yeah. boy. Telling people not to vote. If you're not going to vote for me, stay home. And people were, did you hear it? It was, people were silent, like, huh? Ah, uh, whatever. I mean, everybody's so offended. And the hand-wringing from Chewy and others, Willie Wilson, really, oh, my God, racial politics being played by Lightfoot. It's so funny, too, by the way, getting lectured about Chicago politics from, you know, people like in the Lori Lightfoot camp. She's from Ohio, by the way. Um, I've lived but, here longer but, than she has. You, yeah, you've but, lived here longer than she has. But, right. But, but we don't ahead. know anything. And I'm from, I'm, how can I have a say in anything? Because I'm from Mount Prospect. No, I live in the city. No, I mean, I, I've been here no, since no, 1996. No. Yeah, yeah, but now that, they're that. calling that into question. Did you know that I went swimming and playing field? Oh, my. No, no, God. no. You got, there's a 50-year probationary period to be considered oh, okay. a legitimate commentator on mm -hmm. anything Chicago anything. or Illinois related. Yes. You have to have five decades in minimum. My grandpa came from Sweden and helped build Chicago building. President of Swedish Engineers Club. Stop, stop crystallizing yourself. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter to these people. And this is yeah. to my point about Vallis. You think credentializing yourself matters? Well, you better you better hope you're not going to face Brandon Johnson. But I think you are. Uh, that's the way it's trending. Maybe Chewy, but Chewy's oh God, Chewy, Chewy's, Chewy's campaign has been so weak, and obviously triple threat is so unpopular that it's provided a lane, and Brandon Johnson has taken it thanks to public sector union money, which will all consolidate around him and against Vallis. Uh, on March 1st and uh, all of his 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 let me characterize it from their perspective his uh, little piece of jujitsu ha ha hoo hoo yeah masa-san uh, yeah uh, attacking DeSantis will have uh. gone for not because in a general election uh, I would argue vehemently that Republicans, conservatives, should not vote for Paul Vallis. If I was in the city, I would not vote for Paul Vallis under any circumstance. Who would you vote now for? Now it's, well, now you, you've, everybody has just confirmed that the play here is what I've said before, really, which has my, always been my real play, maximum punishment. I thought Lori Lightfoot would be maximum punishment. She's not going to make it, so I'll go over to Brandon Johnson for maximum punishment because that's what the people want in Chicago, and they should get it good and hard. Roger, Southside. Hi. Uh, I'm with you on this, Dan. You know what I mean? Because, listen, uh, I, I'd say about 80% of the people that I know are, you know, have a plane ticket or are making plans. You know, this thing's – and if people think they're safe in the suburbs, uh, I guess guess what? There's not much of the city buffering yet. Uh, yeah, give it to her again. It, it's going to be a pleasure watching her from Florida. You know what I mean? Thanks for the call, Roger. By the way, you know, there's something you could do, as you said, Amy, before. You could have just ignored it ignored and not, it. not taken the bait and used this opportunity to say, um, uh, you know, I don't agree with Ron DeSantis, but I, we're not talking about Ron DeSantis. You know what I'm trying to do as mayor? You know, as a mayoral candidate, you know what I would try to do? I'm trying to bring uh, the 19th Ward together with uh, f uh, food truck vendors in Little Village, 
together with business owners in Bronzeville, together with downtown merchants on the Mag Mile, to resuscitate this city. You have to, we have to stop talking about race and stop talking about partisan identification and start talking about how all of the great communities and neighborhoods in the city can pull together to support the police but hold them accountable, mm-hmm. right. to enjoy the fruits of their labor, which is why we're going to reduce the city government footprint and the costs associated with doing business in Chicago. To improve the quality of schools so yep. people will stay. They don't have to move to the suburbs when their kids get to school age. And that means expanding choice for families in the city, particularly in the minority neighborhoods. And the Opportunity Tax Credit Scholarship Program is doing that, and we need more of that. He could have done something like that, but no, no, no. I'm an idiot, and he's a genius. I got it. Dominic in Palos Park. You know, good morning, Dan and Amy. Morgan Freeman stated it best. If you want to stop racism, stop talking about it. And it's really sad today that people are still going black and white, white versus black. And I think we really need to get back to our strong Chicago Christian values. And I think if the people really come together and realize how powerful we really are together, united as one, that we could stop anything that's going on right now in the city. You guys have a blessed day. Thanks for the call, Dominic. I know, Matt he Mon- didn't have to do it. Matt Montgomery. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. I was with my accountant on uh, Saturday, and uh, he's a CPA, older gentleman, great guy. And he said that uh, he's got so many clients that are ready to jump, uh, and he's actually selling one of his buildings. And his, he's got three offers, but they're all predicated on who is going to be mayor. Brandon Johnson's is a disaster, so if it wasn't Vallis or Willie, they're not going to buy uh, but he said, this thing is, just, obviously, it's a Ponzi scheme. This is coming from a CPA. The Ponzi scheme is going to fail unless there's an inter, inter, uh, injection of funny money from the feds again. But he said, this city is going to fail sooner than later. Thanks for the call, Matt. You want to understand the quality of the debate in this race and in the city? It, setting aside DeSantis and all of the performative outrage. On Flannery's show on Fox Chicago over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Flannery fired up, you know, Mike Flannery. I remember when you were on that show once. Yeah, I've been on a couple times. A fight. I did. I almost uh Who'd you took, almost beat up? I almost took that um oh that state senator oh, who um, looks like uh, twenty pounds of dung in a ten pound bag. Uh, Marty Moyle? No. No, 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 no. Um, um he's so inconsequential I forgot yeah, his name. Okay. Nor Norridge comes out of Norridge and uh, or Norwood Park, I think. Um, anyway, he was a state rep, and now he's a state senator. It really doesn't matter. He's irrelevant. He, he keeps proposing to, to uh, resuscitate the uh, graduated state income tax. Of course. Oh, that's right. Um, so on Fl- Flannery fired up. Mm-hmm. Bruce Heyman is the former managing partner of Goldman Sachs' Chicago office. All right. Uh, Samir Mayakar is the deputy mayor for economic development under this mayor. <laughs> you want to understand how fracked you are? Oh, Listen God. to these two. Goldman Sachs, okay, so, managing partner. Okay. Bruce Heyman. And who is he supporting? Wait for it. Okay. We need to do a lot of things. But the most important thing from all of my conversations with business leaders across this city is crime, crime, crime. Crime's out of control. It is bad. It was not nearly this bad. The city's always had crime. It's a big city. But over the last three years, it's gone up quite a bit, proving, in fact, 
news today that I've just got from CompStat is that for the last six weeks, we've had 1,000 violent crimes over the last six weeks between Oak Street, Roosevelt, the river and the lake. So, so That's up 9% from last year, which is up double from the year before. So crime is real. People are scared. They're scared to drive downtown. They're scared about carjacking. They're scared about a lot of things. And that is what every business leader has told me that so crime should, needs to I be dealt with. To the audience. And you're, 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 so you're nodding your head as Bruce Heyman talks, right? You're like, yeah, exactly. Yep, 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 yep. And wait for it. He's supporting Chewy Garcia. No. <laughs> Does he not know about his thug son, who's a gangbanger who lives with his father? He lives with his dad. It even extended, forget the family, just Chewy Garcia as a politician for the last 20 years. Um, Yes, 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 wait, what? That's Chicago. Yes, 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 wait, what? And, uh, of course, the response from Samir Mayakar, the deputy mayor for economic development, is that there's nothing to see here. What are you talking about? Crime is down. Rents are up. Companies are moving in. It's uh, it's all good. We have more companies that are actually moving to the city. In the past two years, over 300 companies have moved here or expanded here, creating well over 10,000 jobs. And we're going to make sure that we have more residents downtown because, believe it or not, more people live downtown now than before the pandemic. Apartment occupancies are higher. And so really we're seeing a huge amount of interest in people to be And rents have gone up downtown. That's right. But what I will say is to your core topic about crime, this is a national issue. Cities across the country have faced this because of COVID. We cannot forget the challenges that COVID have posed to all cities. But I'm proud to say that the most violent indicators, shootings and homicides, in 2022, they were down 15 to 20 percent. And right now, year to date, also down another 20 percent. We have to keep continuing on that trajectory. Stay the course. Can, can we continue talking about this at six? Because there's so much. To no, we will we, we, we'll, we'll later oh, in the show. But we got Jim Carafano at six. But, yeah, no, stay the course. Mm-hmm. Stay the course. You know, last year, I mean, this is like this is like the, the Clinton uh, SNL skit. When he when Bill Clinton was running for governor and it was like, you know, Arkansas is in the bottom three of every quality of life issue. And the response from Bill Clinton is, you know, I'm proud to say uh, last year we shot past Mississippi in the prevention of rickets. We're coming from your Alabama. We're coming for you. I mean, this is this is the mentality of the the Lightfoot flax. And but and then the response from Bruce Heyman. Even though he identifies the problem or the, the the main problem correctly, I mean the ideas and the persons that are carrying these um, supporters—they're about the width of an eye of a needle. There isn't any difference. White, black, brown—it doesn't matter. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. 
I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Kamala and Tony were over at the Munich uh, Security Conference having conversations, doing a little speechifying, sitting down for interviews with um, you know, great journalists like, uh, Mrs. Al- like Mrs. Alan Greenspan. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I yeah. did like that interview, though. Uh, Reparation H was asked about uh, she's spy balloon. And uh, she offered this trenchant analysis of the uh, shoot-down. You know, we, we shot it down because... Uh, they were invading our airspace? <laughs> because it needed to be shot down. Well, tautologies are her strong suit, along with Venn diagrams. Why shoot first when we didn't have a policy in place? Well, let's be clear, first of all, as it relates to the Chinese balloon... We shot it down because it uh, needed to be shot down. Because exactly, we did it because we did it. Uh, but and it needed d- to be done. Don't worry about the relationship, though. Uh, this is a blip, but uh, at least with respect to Kamala, her perspective on the Chaicoms hasn't changed. The perspective that we have in terms of what should be the relationship between China and the United States uh, that is not going to change, but surely and certainly that balloon was not helpful, which is why we shot it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, tough talk. Uh, yeah. Tony Blinken uh, had a confab with uh, the Chicom's top diplomat in Munich. Uh, and, uh, you know, the topic of the spy balloon did come up. In Munich, too, uh, what we know is we are not the only ones on the receiving end of the Chinese spy balloons. Uh, more than 40 countries have had these balloons go over their territory. And this goes back um, some years. This program's been around for a few years. Uh, so there's a real concern that I'm hearing here from other countries, from allies and partners alike, uh, about this program. And I think countries are, uh, I was going to say pleased, but pleased is the wrong word. They appreciate the fact that we've exposed it. I will assume you got no apology. Um, again, don't want to characterize what he said, but you're, you're correct. Mm, yeah. Well, it's a relationship. One? Relate the perspective doesn't change, but that doesn't help. You need to apologize so we can, you know, get along in a oh, right. competitive but non-conflictual manner. Blinken uh, also asked by Martha Raddatz on this week, who you just heard chime in there, uh, if uh, 
China is planning on providing Russia lethal aid to support their invasion of Ukraine and and um, well, what uh, the Biden administration may or may not do about that if it comes to pass. Significant support to Russia in its aggression. Uh, we've been watching this very, very closely. And for the most part, China has been engaged in providing rhetorical, political, diplomatic support to Russia. But we have information that gives us concern that they are considering providing lethal support to Russia in, uh, in the war against Ukraine. And it was important for me to share very clearly with, with Wang Yi uh, that this would be a serious problem. And, and Mr. Oh, serious problem. That's a uh, tough, tough talk. talk. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, the same I'm thing, Dan. sure the mm-hmm. CHICOMs are shaking in their boots. For more on this, Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano joins us, VP of the Catherine and uh, Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for International Studies at the Heritage Foundation, author of the book Brutal War, Jungle Fighting in Papua New Guinea, 1942. Jim, thanks for joining us. Well, <laughs> you know, I was, I was uh, invited to the New York Security Conference, but I didn't go because I kind of thought it was a waste of time. Hey Jim, we can't, like we, can't, we can't. We can't. Jim, we're having trouble hearing you. Oh, hello. Can you yeah. hear me? So why yeah, didn't yeah. you go to the conference? Because I thought it was a waste of time, and uh, I kind of think I was right. Oh, you apparently didn't hear Kamala Harris's speech. That was seminal. That was uh, Gorbachev tear down this wall quality. Look, I mean, you know, I've said this before. I think the Chinese pay attention to what we do, not what we say. And and the the problem is 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 when we have this very equivocal talk with the Chinese, we are sending this incredibly mixed message, which was, you know, will the U.S. protect this interest or it's not? And this is incredibly dangerous. This is what got us into the Korean War. When the U.S. literally sent a strong signal that, well, you know, we're really not going to defend Korea. And then, of course, the North Koreans invaded. We woke up the next morning and Truman says, oh, no, no, we really are going to defend Korea. This is what got us into the war in Ukraine when we ran away from Afghanistan. And then the administration literally for a year was sending a signal to the to the Russians that, look, Ukraine's not on our agenda. We don't care about Europe. Uh, and then they and then they invade and they go, no, we really do care about Europe. And then we put 44 million people's lives at risk. So when we can't when we can't articulate clearly what our physical actions are going to be, it's us. That's creating instability and inviting aggression, so, not the Chinese. So, what do you think the, the Chinese chi- are? Just the Chinese. What do you think the Chicoms are doing here with a spy balloon, with the uh, uh, making uh, overtures to Russia? Or at least that's what Blinken says. They're picking up overtures to Russia about providing lethal aid to their war effort. Is this trying to feel out where America is and what America may do, depending on what China does? Is that all that is at this point? Uh, so the balloon one I feel pretty confident about because if you look at where it went, uh, the kind of intelligence it had on it, and uh, it seems pretty clear that this was an effort to fill in a gap in the in the Chinese ability to target our early warning uh, system, our nuclear missiles, and the command and control facilities. Uh, it's you know, you can have a satellite in space, but the satellite's only Amer- only over America for a couple of minutes a day, and it can take exquisite pictures, but you, you can't see everything with a picture, and of course we cover stuff up. So signal intelligence is, is a great way to get that data. Uh, you fly at altitude, you have no line of sight problems, um, and uh, which is why actually 
I, when initially when they said, well, we found other balloons, I thought, well, you know, it, it, it would make sense that if they were going to do this, they would send multiple balloons at multiple altitudes with different configurations because then, because once we get onto this, you know, it's probably not something they can do again. So that was a nuclear targeting effort. I don't know why we just don't come out and say that. You know, as, as for what the Chinese are going to do in Russia, the, the Chinese are, are always risk-averse when it comes to helping somebody else. The, the Chinese will likely never do anything. They'll do anything for the Russians they can that they can't be held accountable for. Uh, the Chinese were all in for the Russians to invade Ukraine because that would be great for them. It would be a Europe that would be destabilized, distracted, uh, disorganized, divided, and, and that would be great space for the Chinese to move in. But having said that, once it was very clear that this invasion was not going well, the, the Chinese have not lifted a finger really to help the Russians other than why? buy the oil, right? And they're, they're happy to buy cheap oil for them at below market prices and gas, well, not gas, oil, because th that's for them. But are, would the Chinese really lift a finger to overtly help the Russians? I, we haven't seen that. So I don't know what's going on with that conversation. Uh, between What if they did? Know, is, oh, yeah. Well, well, here, well, look, here's the problem is, is did we kind of invent this to look, pretend like we're looking tough against the Chinese? We warned the Chinese, and they're backing down. And the Chinese, maybe one is maybe they were just telling that to the Russians because they'll tell the Russians anything, but not actually do anything. Maybe it never really happened, and we our intel's bad. Who knows? Well, I want so to go. It's hard to read a lot into this. Yeah, I, real quick, just wanted to go back to the Chinese spy balloons. Have they been doing this yeah. for years? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, I keep hearing multiple reports that oh, they they were flying these spy balloons when Trump was in office. And is there any truth to that? That because if it was, why would, didn't the public know about it? Here's what there's no truth of, mm -hmm. uh, and this is and, and the other thing again, kind of reading between the lines. But they briefed former U.S. officials, including John Ratcliffe, who was the head of the of the, uh, um, uh, the director of national intelligence. And, and if you read Ratcliffe's statement, which was, you know, I had this secret briefing. I'm not going to tell you what's in the briefing, but none of this contradicts my previous views, which is that there's no evidence that a balloon ever traversed the United States. Now, you want to fly a spy balloon outside of U.S. territory, it's perfectly legal. Um, so I, th this is one of these things where it's a lie, but, you know, well, you know, balloons before. Well, nobody said the question. So you have evidence that under the Trump administration, a Chinese spy balloon traversed our entire nuclear infrastructure? You have evidence of that? Nobody's ever asked that question because I, I think the answer to that, according to every senior U.S. official that I talk to, is no. What is your threat assessment on the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade? <laughs> Does he know about it? Well, <laughs> that hobby is, club no, that's very don't, sinister. Don't, don't, hobby club is the front. Yeah. Don't laugh. I, I don't know which is worse. The fact that we we had, you know, we thought we had four Chinese spy balloons, or the fact that we cannot distinguish between a spy balloon and. Uh, so here's the thing. If you actually listen maybe they're to the working with the Chinese, the, the Northern Illinois no, if you, if you bottle cap balloon. To the, um, the the recording of the F-16 pilots, it's very clear that what they are describing is not a balloon, or not is not an intelligence collection asset. Right? They're they're flying around the same balloon. It's got a funny shape. Some cables hanging out. There's no wires. There's no antennas. It's not emitting any signals. It's not piloted. 
so it's very clear we were just we were just randomly shooting around balloons because we didn't want to be criticized because oh my god maybe there's another Chinese balloon and we'll miss it. Hey, listen, Jim, that's the policy. We shoot down all balloons and let God sort them out. You know, hey, well, look, you know, tw- twenty years, you know, over twenty years ago on nine eleven, we had we lost control of our airspace and we had three thousand people killed. And we ran around. We created the Department of Homeland Security. We created Northcom. The FBI said, you know, combating terrorism is our number one mission. And what do we have today? We we apparently can't control our own airspace. Um, we have a massive disaster in the middle of the country, and apparently the U.S. government can't really be really excited about responding to it. We have a border that's completely uncontrolled. So in every vital aspect of what we agreed to do after 9/11, we are worse at that today than we were over 20 years ago. I'm thinking that we should. Under Joe Biden, our homeland is less safe today than it was on 9/11. I'm thinking we should. I'm thinking we should ban kids' birthday parties because those you get (laughs) balloons, you get a mylar balloon that's released. Those things are indestructible, and we're spending four hundred thousand dollars per missile to shoot those things down. What do you think? Thank God we got through Valentine's Day, right? Yeah, right. Um, All right, serious. I mean, we buy these for our grandson, and these things are indestructible. They float forever. I know. I know. You know, people are worried about our arsenal of of weapons because of stuff we're sending to Ukraine. But, you know, we, we're going to burn that through just going after balloons. Going after balloons. Yeah, well, uh, you know, this is where everybody's got to do their part, cut down on the balloon consumption uh, at the local level. You know, think uh, act local, uh, think globally, act locally or something yes, like that. It would be funny if it wasn't so unbelievably ridiculous. Uh, serious question here. Holman Jenkins writing about Putin uh, Putin has no plan to win, he argues, and uh, he also argues that since the catastrophic collapse of his initial plan, the West's cautious approach has in a way actually made the war safe for the Russian president. Um, he, um, it's, he, 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 it's easy for him to sort of continue on now and impose uh, the carnage on his people and the Ukrainian people. Um, and perhaps with uh, a wink and a nod or more from the CHICOMs. I mean, what's your assessment of that assessment that, number one, there's no plan to win and there's no path for him to, quote-unquote, win, but number two, the cautious approach of the West is providing more uh, operating room for Putin? Well, you know, having, I'm not going to comment on an article I haven't read, but I will say that it is, I think, on, you know, again, when we say these things, we're not speaking with the voice of God here. I mean, we're basing it on an assessment of what we know. Most of it gleaned through, well, all of it gleaned through unclassified intelligence, and I'm talking to our, you know, our friends in Europe who are right next to the war, and and, and to other folks. Um, it it doesn't. Russia doesn't have the combat power to do any more than at best consolidate control of the regions that it already has if it can if it can do that so the, the if if you're the question is, is is putin fighting a war he cannot win if win is conquering ukraine the answer is yes and and the other thing that's true which is every day that putin fights his conventional forces that he has to threaten him his neighbors and other countries is bigger than the day it was before so that's true and if and if the other question is is if we had flowed aid to Ukraine before the war, could we have actually prevented the war? The answer is probably. And if we had flowed aid faster, could Ukrainians have got us to the place we are right now, which is a denuded faster? And the answer is probably. So um, I, I, I do think that the 
and, and I'm not saying it's all the way. I think Biden has been an atrocious war president, but I'm not saying it's all the West's fault. So, for example, if you're going to get off Russian gas, that takes more than five minutes, right? But but the but the fact that 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 people did dither in the beginning, I, it, and, th- and you have to understand, this is what military people want to believe. Hitler wanted to believe the war could still be won. The Japanese wanted to believe the war could still be won. Part of the reason why we adopted the the uh, you know uh, total surrender thing was to to show these guys, dude, we are so freaking serious about winning this thing, and. You've got to send really powerful messages like that to the other guy if you want the other guy to, to stop, uh, if particularly in a, in a war which is really optional for them. But remember, you know, not to make equivocal because we weren't, we weren't invading the country when we were fighting in Vietnam and we weren't invading a country when we were fighting in Korea. We, were, we went in to help them to somebody else. We stayed, in, we stayed in an unwinnable war in Vietnam for 25 years. Um, the Russians stayed in Afghanistan for a really long time. So when people are determined to do these things, you know, they can fight for, for a really long time. But I got to tell you, um, I actually, this is one of the ironies here, is, which is, you know, we can all come, people have different views and we're not get all that. But where are we today in terms of our interests in Europe? Um, we are facing a much NATO, or in our, a much less Russian conventional military threat than we were before to the point where the U.S. military footprint in NATO doesn't need to be near what it was. So our requirements of what we need to do in Europe have actually declined quite a bit, I think, when this war is in. Our allies are actually standing up and doing more. Some allies are actually spending more than us as as a percentage of GDP on defense. Europe is on a path to being completely energy independent of the Russian um, Europe's actually many European countries are much more sensible about oil and gas than they were two years ago. Um, many of the countries in Europe are center-right governments now, which are much more pro-yes, much more anti-China, much more anti-Russian. Really want to work with the United States and totally get the concept of burden sharing, and are much better friends to the United States than, than traditional allies like Germany and France. We're actually in a stronger position now. Don't get me wrong. I think Joe Biden's a Yahoo. And I think he's been a horrible, terrible president. But the problem is, is I mean, the, the the blessing of God is Putin has been way worse at fighting this war than Joe Biden, which is he a is low the, bar. I grant you. Yeah. No. He he is Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano. By the way, a happy anniversary to your employer, the Heritage Foundation. Fifty year anniversary. Thank uh, you very much. I, I don't feel a day over forty five. <laughs> you don't look it either, Jim Carafano. Thanks for for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The topic of Ron DeSantis came up in the chat that Mrs. Alan Greenspan had with Kamala Harris over the weekend. See if you can distinguish the commentary from Andrea Mitchell, from Kamala Harris, from that of, say, Paul Vallis. Okay. Let me ask you, what does Governor Ron DeSantis not know about about black history and the black experience when he says that 
slavery and the aftermath of slavery should not be taught to Florida school children? I don't know what he knows and what he doesn't know, but I know this. Any push to censor America's teachers and tell them what they should be teaching in the best interest of our children in, in partnership with the parents of America is, I think, um, wrong-headed. The people who know our children best are their parents and their teachers in terms of the time they spend and the investment they've placed in the brains and capacity of our children who are our nation's future. And it should not be some politician saying what should be taught in our classrooms. That is just insufferable, which I don't even know where to start. I believe the children, children are future. future. Teach them well and let, let them lead oh, the way. little pitchy, Dan. Show the beauty they No, possess. show them all the, the beauty they possess, possess inside. inside. Give them a sense of pride. pride. Oh, yeah. Make it easier. Ugh. They're not getting rid of black history. They already have history where they go over slavery and all everything in, in history Kamala, class in Florida. Kamala Harris is, again, she's parents and teachers, which is why oh, yeah. in her home state of California, the teachers conspire to uh, not tell the parents when they're reassigning their kids' gender. Parents and teachers, you know, right. um, banning books, right? Well, that's uh, the statement that Paul Vallis put out about Ron DeSantis. Same thing. Uh, did Ron DeSantis ever say don't teach uh, slavery or the Reconstruction no. period? No, of course Because not. they teach that. They did that black uh, history course they wanted talked about queer theory. Uh, of, 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 of course. Of course not. Of course not. But these are racial demagogues. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Andrea Mitchell and Kamala Harris and Paul Vallis. For more on this, since uh, Ron DeSantis is in down spreading hate. <laughs> Pleased to be joined by Congressman Darren LaHood, Republican from Peoria, who's traveling with the governor. Darren, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, Dan and Amy. Great to be on with you. Uh, So um, what do you think? Uh, Ron DeSantis uh, has really done a terrible job as mayor of the city of Chicago, and these uh, contenders don't want him back. (laughs) Well, you talk about a fake controversy and uh, people that are jealous of Ron DeSantis. You know, Florida's crime rate right now is at a 50-year low, Dan. Uh, They have one of the best economies in the entire country, record surpluses. Uh, You know, and so when I hear Pritzker or Fox or or even Vallis, any of these other people, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And I give Ron DeSantis a lot of credit for coming into Chicago today on President's Day. He's also going to be in New York and Philadelphia and to expose uh, what Pritzker has done to law enforcement in the state of Illinois. Talk to any cop, whether it's in the city of Chicago or in Peoria, Illinois, or a sheriff's deputy. Cops are demoralized. Law enforcement's demoralized because of what Fox, Kim Fox, Lightfoot, and Pritzker have done. And you guys know it better than anybody what they've done in the state, eliminating cash bail, reducing penalties for violent offenders, uh, not prosecuting uh, you know, uh, violent criminals or illegal immigrants, and lastly, trying to get rid of qualified immunity. So I'm thrilled uh, Governor DeSantis is coming to Illinois. We're going to have a record crowd of cops uh, and sheriff's deputies there. And, uh, and I hope uh, this is a lesson to them. I know it won't be, but I hope it is. It is odd uh, that uh, so many people who've left Chicago for Florida don't understand the threat that Ron DeSantis poses to their very existence, myself included. 
Tell us what tell, oh, yeah. us what tell us what we don't know, Darren. Tell us about Ron DeSantis, the threat we posted. Apparently, we should come back to Chicago before he, he wrecks Florida like he did the city of Chicago. I guess that's what we're supposed to believe. We continue to hemorrhage thousands and thousands of people out of Illinois because of the policies of, of Pritzker at the top and Lightfoot and Fox and many other Democrats that have controlled Springfield. And it's astonishing that people don't wake up to that fact, Dan, but it just every day there are more and more of my voters that now live in Florida and went there because of the success of Florida. And, 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 and you look at the economic freedom there, you know, the low crime rate there, the opportunity to thrive and prosper and do well, whether it's in your small business uh, or with your family. And it's a success story that everybody ought to be emulating. And again, I think, uh, this is, again, a fake controversy from Pritzker, and they should be jealous of what Ron DeSantis is doing. So I'm glad he'll be here today to talk about the success model in Florida. And frankly, I'm jealous we don't have Ron DeSantis in Illinois and his policies. Well, a lot of us, uh, you know, including my friends, moved to Florida because the schools were open. And I went <clears throat> to countless rallies with Paul Vallis you know, to reopen schools. So it was hard to read this email that he put out, you know, decrying and denouncing uh, DeSantis as a right-wing extremist. Does Governor DeSantis know about all this pushback he's getting from these liberal Democrats here in Chicago? Frankly, Amy, I don't think he cares one bit. Uh, the more, the merrier, right? I mean, to see the outrage of liberals and progressives, I think it's going to highlight the event even more. Uh, and just the, the stupidity of, of what, you know, what these politicians stand for and the contrast. I mean, I think that's what Governor DeSantis is going to talk about, talk about today. I think it's what he's going to talk about in the future is the contrast to what Florida's done uh, in terms of his policies. And, Amy, I, I hope it's a wake-up call for folks in Illinois. And that's part of why he's coming today. But, but most importantly, law enforcement needs to hear from somebody that's been a leader here, that's bringing down crime, uh, and, and, is, and has helped support uh, law enforcement at every level in Florida. By the way, you guys know this, too. We can't get people to apply to be police officers or sheriff's deputies or Illinois State Police in Illinois anymore because they've been demoralized. Florida has record amounts of folks that want to be police officers. So, I mean, the statistics bear it out. Uh, and again, uh, we're going to highlight that today. He should, uh, Ron DeSantis should use all the criticism he's receiving from Chicago Democrats as in a campaign commercial. If these guys don't like me, I must be doing something right. I mean, I could, could Chicago have any worse of a reputation nationally and internationally as compared to uh, the reputation that Florida has under DeSantis? Something else about this, too. And this is difficult in Illinois a little bit because there's some Republican uh, donors who I like and respect who are, have poured a lot of money into Vallis's campaign. It was mistaken, but, um, you know, we, we make a lot of mistakes here. So speaking of the Republican Party here, something else that maybe DeSantis can provide an example of, because uh, people forget when DeSantis ran in 2018, he was not the establishment Republican's choice in Florida. Adam Putnam was, and he narrowly won. And then he narrowly won by 3,000 votes uh, his first contest against Gillum in 2018. And then he governed like a conservative reformer, and then in 2022, he wins by uh, 20 points because of the record of success that he put together and how Florida is flourishing under his leadership, as you were describing. Maybe there's something there for Illinois Republicans to learn. The, uh, the Illinois Republicans, which is the leadership of the Republican Party for, uh, well, for the last two decades, more or less, 
that we surrender at the first sign of trouble, that we try to pantomime the other side, sort of like what Vallis is doing with the Marxists in Chicago. Maybe that's not the model. Ron DeSantis was able to turn Florida from a swing state into a deep red state in the span of four years because he ran and governed as a conservative reformer. Gosh, I wonder if there's something there to emulate. Well, you articulated that well, Dan. Absolutely. He's an example for all Republicans across the country. Uh, And and standing by your your conservative principles and values uh, through thick and thin is what Ron has done. And frankly, that's why people uh, love the guy uh, and why he's been so successful. And look at what he did in Florida this year at the top of the ticket. They now have a supermajority in their Senate, supermajority in their House in Florida. He's going to have an opportunity to pass a lot of really great bills this spring, Again, and it's night and day between Florida and Illinois and a lot of these other Democrat states across the country. But it's because of strong, principled leadership. Uh, And frankly, he's an example for uh, should be an example for the party in Illinois. He is Darren LaHood, congressman for the 16th district out of Peoria, recently selected to the committee on the Chinese Communist Party as well. So there'll be a lot of work on that committee, to be sure. Congressman LaHood, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, enjoy your day with Governor DeSantis. Sounds great, guys. Take care, Dan and Amy. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Prof and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. In 2019, Cook County Chief Judge Timothy Evans said, quote, we haven't had any horrible incidents occur under his court's bond reform initiative a precursor to the Safety Act. Haven't had any horrible incidents occur. Hmm. Interesting. More beautiful lies. Prosecutors on Friday said a Chicago man killed his roommate with a knife and hammer last month and hit her body in their apartment and moved into a motel. The uh, alleged assailant knew the 21-year-old from high school, moved into her apartment early this year because uh, he was homeless. Not a flight risk, though. Facing felony, he was out facing felony burglary charges. Mm -hmm. Police found the woman's body uh, hidden under a pile of clothing between the bed and a wall after she failed to show up for work. And co-workers asked police to check on her. The woman suffered 45 stab wounds, primarily to her back, was also beaten with a blunt object that the medical examiner said may have been a hammer. The individual charged with first-degree murder is the first case this year of an individual accused of killing, shooting, or trying to kill or shoot someone while on bond for a pending felony case. Last year, there were 55 such incidents that resulted in 94 victims, including 25 dead. In 2021, there were 112 victims, including 31 murdered by people awaiting trial for unrelated felony charges. In 2020, there were 70 additional victims, 36 dead. All preventable if you had kept people awaiting felony trial 
over for trial. But Tim Evans didn't do that, and now they want to scale that statewide. And regardless of what happens to the Safety Act, you know under the current power structure in Chicago and Cook County, this will continue. And so will the body count. All preventable deaths if they kept them in jail while awaiting trial. So 25 dead last year, the year before 31, and the year before 36. And, the, and that's, that's just the dead. Other mm-hmm. felonies that were committed, attempted murder, assault, aggravated assault, rape. Mm. Which uh, leads me to this column over at JohnCastNews.com, penned by his friend, Steve the Pilot, who I know. And so I know this to be an authentic representation of his feelings. This is not just piling on. I know you shall not speak ill of Chicago. It's a great city and so on and so forth. Right. Okay. Steve, the pilot writes, I'm a fourth generation. I'm the fourth generation of my family to live in Chicago. My dad grew up in Uptown. My mom on Alta Vista Terrace before it was called Wrigleyville. Two quips I've often used to tell my story. Everyone in my family is here, either above or below ground. I've been everywhere but nowhere. I'm a pilot, and I live two blocks from where I was born. Grew up on the north side, graduated from Lane Tech. Only lived outside the city to go to college and serve in the United States Air Force. I was the only member of a large extended family to stay and raise my kids in the city. Everyone else moved to the burbs. If you talk to, talk to any of my friends from college, the Air Force, or my job, I was Mr. Chicago, and I expected to die of natural causes, in the city where I was born. After the Air Force, I moved back, got married, had two kids, started my new life of flying. I didn't have to live in Chicago. I wanted to live in Chicago. We were fortunate, both my wife, she worked downtown, and I enjoyed our jobs, and we made a great living. So as the time approached for the kids to start schools, the question asked, uh, the question started, city or suburbs? Ultimately, they decided on private school because... There was too much risk going to CPS, which, of course, is a problem that has only worsened since his kids were in school. I had the most flexibility in my schedule, so I was the most involved in the kids' schools, their activities, the community. Condo board president of our 400-plus unit building, election judge for 20 years, worked at the Green City Farmer's Market in Lincoln Park, was a Boy Scout leader. I voted in every election with the exception of one during my time as an eligible resident. He was overseas. When voting started, didn't get back in time. I was around so much, there was one young lady who would see me in the neighborhood as an election judge and at the farmer's market. Finally, one day while I was working for a farmer friend of mine at the market, she asked if I was a farmer too. I told her, no, I was just helping out a friend. But if she saw me coming out of the cockpit on a flight, not to be worried because that was my actual job. (laughs) The 90s and the aughts, the first decade of the millennia, were good to Chicago, good in Chicago. Richard M. shined it up, planted flowers, lots of flowers, crime was down. What most didn't realize was that he was cleaning it up by washing away the city's foundation. Great line. So true. It started with the wrought iron fences around every park and capped off with the parking meter scandal and so many flowers in between. Rom cleaned up nothing, exposed none of the corruption, and I would say his time is encapsulated in my son's minds with the following situation. We went to City Hall to complete a requirement for their citizenship in the community merit badge. As we got off the elevator, there was a crowd. It restricted our ability to check in for the city council meeting the boys were supposed to observe. We were standing in the elevator bank area, and the chanting began, 16 shots and a cover-up. Oh, yeah. I remember that. They learned a lot about citizenship in the community that day. 
The kids went to college. The wife retired. Our life of travel was beginning. And in uh, 2019, I voted in the runoff. Didn't make the primary election, but did vote in the runoff. Happily voted for Lightfoot looking for change. Boy, did I get it. We've been going down to southwest Florida for 20-plus years on vacation and love the area, but never had any intention of moving there full-time. I was a Chicago boy. Then COVID, George Floyd, riots, crime, and budgets changed everything. And he goes through the obvious implications of that cluster of events. My time in Chicago started in the tumultuous 60s, the grimy 70s, then the upward trend until we peaked in the aughts. Those are many decades. It took a long time to build the city up. The taxes were lower. The city had less debt, but it still took 30-plus years and a lot of corruption tax to get it shiny. It is now completely bankrupt. The taxes are sky high, and the infrastructure is collapsing. It took 10 years for the Jane Byrne and Lakefront Bike Bridge to be built, and the schools, oh, the schools. I was there when Chicago was down. I grew up the, through the tumult. I know even if the city does turn itself around, it's a long road, and I will be too old when it happens to enjoy it. As I told John Cass, a story I told John Cass kind of encapsulates the whole issue. I went into an Apple store here in Florida shortly after we moved. As I jaunted out into the sunny blue skies with my purchase, I realized it was the first time I ever walked out of an Apple store without my head on a swivel worried about getting mugged. It saddens me, but the back is turned. The decision has been made, and there's no turning around. That's the anatomy of my departure. Sound familiar? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Wait, wait, let me say, Steve the pilot, he's a Florida resident. He has no business commenting on Chicago. Exactly. Right? Right, and he didn't (laughs) live here long enough, right? Yeah. Only four generations, we need five. Yeah. You gave up, Steve the pilot. It's Steve the pilot's fault. If only he'd stayed. Well, you always say, ask every family, what's your breaking point? What's your breaking point? Is it, you know, the next? Because we don't, we don't have hurricanes here. We don't have tornadoes up in Chicago. We have bad politicians that are destroying, with their bad policies, destroying our city. Who's invested more? You know, all these mayoral candidates, every single one of them uses that word investment. Yeah. All the time. Invest in this, invest what they're going to do with the money they take from you. That's what they mean. So, But who's invested more? Who's more vested in Chicago? Somebody like Steve the pilot and four generations of his family and the life that he and his wife built for their family over their entire adult lives? Or politicians throwing your money around and then telling you, who has standing to comment and who doesn't and what kind of comments are acceptable and what kind of comments are not. That's what I love. That's why this this mayoral race, especially now after the DeSantis, DeSantis flap. DeSantis, and, yeah. and by the way, I'm still waiting. Come on. Where, where are all of the keyboard killers? Call in and uh, explain it to us. Tell me, in particular, how wrong I am. Tell me how ignorant I am. Tell me how I have no standing. Tell me I don't get it. you got to play the game, brother. Oh, yeah. Right. Let's play the game the same way, and let's pretend we're going to generate a different outcome. Because we're playing the game. We're so slick. 
312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can also reach us on our text line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. You got to be, you got to be, you know, cute by half like Vallis. You got to know when to pander and sidle up and when to stand on principle. And you just got to trust. You got to trust Chicago politician. The same proposition I heard from a lot of the same people with Tiny Dancer. The same proposition I heard with a lot of people with Triple Threat. I mean, Steve the Pilot basically says so when he talks about voting in the runoff, hoping for change because she was from, quote unquote, outside the system. Paul Vallis isn't, but you're going to trust him. It's going to be so different because we've never seen this ruse before. These are the things I got to do to win. But when I win, that's when I'm a man of principle. That's when I really go after. That's where I I go after all of those interests that I'm afraid to go after and have not gone after for the better part of the last half century. It was all leading up to this. That's when the mask comes off and I'm a conservative reformer. I'm forget conservative common sense, common sense reformer. I'm willing to I'm going to take on the corrupt Chicago media. I'm going to take on. The rent seekers. I'm going to take on the old political power structure, half of which is under indictment these days. That's when I'm going to take it all on. Right. Okay. All right. You go ahead and keep that hook in your mouth, Vallis supporters, unapologetic Vallis supporters. Go ahead. But come on. 312 642 Let me have it. And, and and please attack me personally in lieu of addressing the, the issue, issue like I got so much on social media because that's even better. Thank you. Please. I want you to talk uninterrupted. I want people to hear a representation of the mentality that has Chicago in the place that it's in. And these are supposed to be the people that want to change things. You don't. You're deluding yourselves. Go ahead. I get it. To stay in the Chicago right now and to have to confront what you've been a part of, that requires a lot of self-delusion. It's going to be the rare individual who's willing to own up. I get it. So go ahead. Take all of your angst. Project it onto me like uh, the candidates projected onto DeSantis. Get all the poison out so you can sleep at night. No problem. That's what I'm here for. A cathartic experience. Andy in Hinsdale, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. You're going to have to have your praise for change change my label to Andy from Texas because uh, that's where I am right now. You know, except for the employment difference and the fact that he went to Florida and I went to Texas, that letter could have been my own. Same story in Chicago my entire life, witnessing a great city just be taken to its knees. And meanwhile, all these people in the West Loop who I come across when I, when I do come into town, because I still have a business in Chicago and 15 employees that I actually care about. The people in the West Loop, you know, they look at Texas and Florida and they're like, like oh, you guys, you don't understand. You're, you're a bunch of Neanderthals. You're rednecks, you know. And when I'm in Texas, I don't have to worry about the things I have to worry about in Chicago. And people are friendly. People are the way Chicago used to be when I went to grade school, high school, college, and worked in the loop for 30 years. And it's such a damn shame what's happened to that city. 
Thanks for the call, Andy. You know what that is, though. You know what you just heard from Andy and Hinsdale. What what Heat. they would these same people I'm talking about? How would characterize that? What grievance? Oh, that's just grievance. This is grievance radio. Those are just grievances. It's white privilege grievances or gotcha. some privilege grievances or whatever. Go ahead. Pile on. Whatever makes you feel better. I just can't believe it. I mean, I'm still shocked that Paul Vallis did that. I mean, saying I wholeheartedly agree with Governor Pritzker that there is simply no place in Chicago for a right-wing extremist like Ron DeSantis. I can't believe Paul uh, Pat Quinn's running mate would have said that. Oh, we forgot who Paul Vallis was. Did we? He should have just just not said anything at all. Why, why even comment? Philip Blue Island. He's not even coming to Chicago. He's in Elmhurst. Philip in Blue Island. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it, it's funny because the two, well, the last caller and, and the story that you read were basically about white flight. Yeah. And, and there's right. always been this hope yeah, in the flight. black community. Yeah, there's always been this hope, well, this this hope that uh, there would be a tsunami, tsunami of, of of, of well-to-do white people, especially after Dr. King was killed, because there was a somewhat of a, you know, slow drip tsunami when Dr. Before Dr. King was killed. Now, 50, 60 years later, there's this, this, this still continuing white flight with taking the, the financial bases out of these, uh, out of Chicago and, and surrounding areas. Hey, then, Philip, you know, Philip, like, Philip, so, they, Philip, sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry. Where do you live? Where do I live? I live outside. I live right on the 127th Street, right outside. Blue it's Island. still Chicago. I don't, I don't oh, know. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. It's not no, basically no, no, still no, Chicago. Where do you live? Uh, where I, do you I, live? I, that's, that's not the point. The point, hold, hold on, because Philip wants to interrupt and misdirect, I, which I, I get the game. Blue Island is not, that's a suburb. Just like Oak Park is a suburb or Elmhurst is a suburb. That's a suburb. The demographics may be different, but it's a suburb. So, uh, Philip, uh, number one, you're not in Chicago, and it's sort of hilarious to talk about flight or the lack of a desire to be on the south or west side. Um, secondly, um, can you ex- do some splaining, a little bit more splaining to me about the 200,000 black residents who fled the city of Chicago just between 2010 and 2020? And 2020. Ten years, 200,000 black residents have fled. Go ahead, Philip. Tell me. Okay, again, you asked me, and I think it was fair for me to ask you, where do you live? Uh, you already know where I live, but I'm not relevant. <laughs> okay. And again, all of your callers, a lot of them, most of your white callers, are from the suburbs. They don't really don't live in Chicago either. But you take like their you. opinions and their right. thoughts and so forth. So yeah. again, uh, I'm taking your opinion too. Blacks leaving, blacks have always had to travel uh, to try to find a better way of living. Wait a and second. Again, Wait a second. Why would blacks have to leave Chicago to get a better way of living? You've had nothing but Democrats, including black Democrats recently, particularly the last decade, in control of the city. So what's the problem? Because, again, you still have these certain sector of what you call boule or, 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 or the, the, what they call well, in the neighborhood. We call them the bougie blacks, right? Like Willie Wilson. He's bougie. He's, he's the boule. He's, he's basically doing the, the vetting and the... I mean, Lori Lightfoot right. is not that much different. They're always doing the work for the... the, the yeah, know, right. Me, but the white right. supremacists. Yeah, so, right. Again, white, right. The, the, right. Willie Wilson and Lori Lightfoot are, white, are, are toadies for white supremacy. Got it. All right. Thanks for the call, Philip. That's about all I can stomach from that. Yeah, 
Thank you for ending that. <laughs> Willie Wilson, who grew up as a sharecropper sure in Jim Crow, Louisiana, Picked is cotton. a bougie black. Yeah. Who was part of the great migration away from that to this land of opportunity that has now been destroyed by white, black, and brown altogether? Poisonous ideology, not about skin color. But see, Philip and Blue Island, not in the city of Chicago, they don't have an answer. They don't have an explanation. So they, they have boogeymen instead. Ron DeSantis is a boogeyman. I'm a boogeyman. White, uh, white supremacy. You generically is a boogeyman and anybody who is presiding over the continued disintegration of the city and flight of black residents from the city. Uh, they're just uh, either buffaloed or a collaborator with white supremacists. OK, like I said, I, I get the level of delusion to which one has to sink to make this make sense and still retain your same belief system. I get it. And Philip from Blue Island is a great example of it. Jim in LaGrange. Hi, Dan and Amy. So I, I, that's, that's a wild last call. So uh, quick story. So my great-grandparents immigrated from Europe. They settled on the west side of Chicago. They were hardworking people. They were shop owners. They were firemen, policemen. Then that gets bad. Then they moved to Cicero. Then they moved from Cicero to Lyons. Then they moved from Lyons to Naperville. That's the last stop. There's nowhere else to go for them. But that's just that systematic approach of what's happened in Chicago and how it's now bled out into the suburbs. And after Naperville, where else do you go in Illinois? Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Jim. I wouldn't go to Naperville either. But, um, yeah, the, the south suburbs where Philip lives, mm-hmm. Blue Island, that, I mean, the south suburbs has become a de- demilitarized right. zone. Destroyed. Robbins. All and that so then you move to Will Kelsey. County. Then you move to northwest Indiana. You're out. But all those those communities, the same approach the same mentality they're just mini kleptocracies and chicago's a mega kleptocracy the results are the same but hey dan play the game you got to play the game you know what people say play the game in chicago mean get yours and get out there's your translation get yours and get out this is not about improvement this is about taking whatever you can get that's not nailed down and getting out Real talk. Marco and Romeoville. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I grew up in the city of Chicago. Now I live in Romeoville. But uh, I agree with you guys. I mean, Chicago has turned like Mexico now where every president just comes and strips the shit out of their money. And, uh, you know, and that's what the same thing with these politicians in, in, in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. I love my city. But I had to move out of there because yeah, uh, 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 violence got real bad out there. And I couldn't raise my kid out there. Um yeah, we definitely need either one of them dailies back. Can we can we do that? Well, thanks no. for the call, Marco. I mean, the 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 well, the the second daily, in particular, he was the predicate to everything that happened. I mean, that's what Steve the pilot's writing about is don't don't you know? Oh, the glory days when uh, Richard M was in charge and uh, there were flower planters that adorned the streets. He did write that. Uh, below the surface. The seeds of the city's destruction were being sowed. He had a better handle on the homeless population. Change on the outside to protect continuity on the inside. This, the city is now a caricature of 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 boss of of, of of Kelsey Grammer as the mayor of Chicago and boss. It's a caricature of that now. Literally, it's that. 
Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, CNN anchor Don Lamone. He's uh, been put on holiday. He's gone from the morning show, it would appear, because of his Nikki Haley is not in her prime because she's over the age of 50 comments <laughs> from last week. Yeah, because, you know, you're in your prime when you're in childbirthing years. Yeah. It's interesting to, com- like, ciphers like Don Lamone, it's interesting to compare what they are saying today to what they said five minutes ago, much less five or ten years ago. Well, real quick, though, so he was, you know, on leave on Friday, and he's not here today as well. But guess where he was on Friday while he was, you know, taking the call with the bosses? Could not care less. Well, I could care. I was going to text him because he was at his Miami bungalow out there frolicking on the beach with his fiance, drinking. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Don't like, take this seriously, but he's not taking it seriously. Why? Wait, what's he supposed to be like in mourning? Is he supposed to be in like four days of darkness, like Aaron Rodgers trying to contemplate his next move? I, Who I cares? Just, it's not a good look. Who cares? Oh, he should be. His job's on the line. I would the, not the, do that. Oh my, I'm really concerned about the, how this Don Lamont thing care. plays out. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by the lives of uh, ciphers who get to talk to a camera, basically read to a camera. For their profession, they're so they're fascinating. Well, he people. reads Google first before. So he fascinating, people. yeah. Google told me. Google yeah. made me do it. No, I know. Don Lamon ten years ago. Remember, he's just a cipher. So whatever is popular on the left, he is repeating. There's no thinking going on in his head, which is the case with most of the people you see on TV. Right. They don't do the heavy lift. They don't care. So so Don Lamone 10 years ago talking about what the black community needs to fix about itself. This is 2013. This is not, you know, a generation ago. This is not George Wallace. This is not Ron DeSantis. Because black people, if you really want to fix the problem, here's just five things that you should think about doing. Here's number five. And if if this doesn't apply to you, if you're not doing this, then it doesn't apply to you. I'm not talking about you. Here's number five. Pull up your pants. Walking around with your ass and your underwear showing is not okay. In fact, it comes from prison when they take away belts from the prisoner so that they can't make a weapon. And then it evolved into which role a prisoner would have during male-on-male prison sex. The one with the really low pants is a submissive one. You get my point? Number four now. The is the N-word. By promoting the use of that word when it's not germane to the conversation, have you ever considered that you may just be perpetuating the stereotype the master intended, acting like a Now number three. Respect where you live. Start small by not dropping trash, littering in your own communities. I've lived in several predominantly white neighborhoods in my life. I rarely, if ever, witness people littering. I live in Harlem now. It's an historically black neighborhood. Every single day I see adults and children dropping their trash on the ground when a garbage can is just feet away. Just being honest here. Number two, finish school. You want to break the cycle of poverty? Stop telling kids they're acting white because they go to school or they speak proper English. 
A high school dropout makes on average $19,000 a year. A high, a high school graduate makes $28,000 a year. A college graduate makes $51,000 a year. Over the course of a career, a college grad will make nearly a million dollars more than a high school graduate. That's a lot of money. And number one, and probably the most important, just because you can have a baby, it doesn't mean you should, especially without planning for one or getting married first. More than 72% of children in the African-American community are born out of wedlock. That means absent fathers. And the studies show that lack of a male role model is an express train right to prison. And the cycle continues. Now that's the Don Lemon that I know and love. No, you don't. Please. I spent a lot of time with them. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six d a turnkey dot pro text line. In addition to using the n word on air, which you did, five things that black, the black community should do to fix themselves, according to Don Lemon. You heard him. Mm-hmm. Who would say that on the left today? That's ten years ago. Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six type in DA then a quick comment. That is a great question. And on the Who on, on the, the would say that today. And on the the uh, five things that he ticked off. Yeah. I mean, forgetting I for a moment things like you know pull your pants up, but um. No, pull your pants up. What what? Well, I get it, but but what of those things has improved in the last decade? Children out of wedlock, a legitimate high school education that prepares you to do something in this world. Uh, the language picking up the garbage. Yeah, I mean some respect are, for community. The, the, yeah, I mean the, those are important as well. But I mean, I'm, you know, in terms of like your chance for success in independence, it's. School and family. And so since Don Lemon uh, uttered those words on CNN 10 years ago. How's it gone? What mayoral candidate in Chicago would say any of those things? (laughs) Right? It's laughable. Yeah. Right? Oriated. I mean, if they even where he starts with you know pulling up your pants, have some respect. But Mayor Lightfoot would never. They think that they'd alienate some in the black community if they said that. That's conjecture on my part. But so um, the it's just a, an indication. It's almost like a marker of the descent into madness we've gone on because of identity politics over the last decade. And the market opportunity, it would seem to me, is to revisit where we were in 2013 on some of these matters. But no big city politician that I'm aware of is willing to say anything even approximating what Don Lemon said a decade ago. Much less act in furtherance of those things through policy choices. Isn't it remarkable how quickly things can change? How bad things can get? You can trace the demise, can't you? And so what's the conversation? What's the debate in Chicago right now? Nicely exemplified 
on uh, Mike Flannery's show. We played a couple of clips earlier in the program. Here's a couple other ones. This is Bruce Heyman, former managing partner of the Chicago office of Goldman Sachs, who's supporting Chewy Garcia. Of course he is. Goldman Sachs. And Samir Mayakar, who's the deputy mayor for economic development for Lori Lightfoot. What does the city need? First up, Bruce Heyman, Goldman Sachs. Well, we need a leader in our city, in the mayor's office, who is the chief marketing officer, but also a collaborator, communicator, and effective worker with leaders in business. From all of my conversations, she's absent from those conversations, and she is not a communicator and collaborator. The tone and style, Lori Lightfoot. You know, we can see examples of that. You know, we just saw, we're losing the bears. You see the letter that she wrote when they were leaving, that go beat Green Bay? Come on. This is the worst negotiating I've ever seen in my life. I think we need new leadership. And that leadership needs to be cooperative, collaborative with business, with culture, etc. I think Chewy Garcia is the guy to do that. (laughs) Chewy Garcia? I mean, what did he accomplish? He was a city council member, Senate part of the Senate, Cook County Board Commissioner, Congressman. If anyone needs if anyone needs an argument uh, in contravention to the idea that Chewy Garcia is a leader, period, then you're much more lost than you think you are. He's a clown. I don't even have time. I don't even want to spend time on it. Well, that's so that's one. That's that's part of the conversation. There's Chewy Garcia's representation from a C-suite as to what Chicago needs. Uh, Here's Lori Lightfoot's flack. I've had the privilege of working with Mayor Lightfoot since day one. And I got behind her when I was in the private sector because I built a business in Bronzeville. And the truth of the matter is that this city has a huge amount of need on the south and the west side. And that's led to a lot of structural issues that many administrations in the past have failed to change. And this administration and Mayor Lightfoot has made huge headways into investing in the south and the west sides, into stabilizing our finances, like having 10 ratings upgrades that other administrations failed to do. So, you know, I'm very, very proud to be working with her, and I do see her as a collaborator. Who's a collaborator and who isn't? Who's a communicator and who isn't? Anything missing from that robust discussion on Mm -hmm. Flannery show? I mean, it's embarrassing. 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, Mike, south side. Morning, Dan. Morning, Amy. Thank you both for taking my call. I've uh, got a question about Don Lemon. Uh, where's the LGBT leadership and activist community now? Uh, he made a very ignorant and rude, rude, rude remark about well, Nikki Haley be, allegedly being pastor prime, but no outcry from the uh, gay community. Uh, that seems a little awkward. Well, what I think is awkward is, you know, he apologized on Twitter. He should apologize to Nikki Haley, too, for saying that. And to all of the women of that age group. (sighs) Yeah. I know, Dan. Yawn. The the compelled apology. It's so important. Well, he put out an apology. He should apologize to her. Yeah. So important. What Don Lemon has to say, or excuse me, Lamone, it's so important. Somebody who's reciting lines. That's what he does. That's what he's always done. But the key is understanding the lines he was reciting that, uh, a decade ago in 2013. Was it different Don? Same Don, different script. 
John, Portage Park. Hey, good morning. I'm wondering if Don Lamone uh, has ever researched the age of Maxine Waters, Lori Lightfoot, or Kamala Harris, for that matter. Well, according to him, they're all way Thanks, past John. their prime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Greg and LaGrange. Hi, good morning, guys. I mean, we're living in some sort of Kafka-esque type story plotline here. You have a Goldman Sachs C-suite executive backing Chuy Garcia, who is anything but pro-business. And then you have somebody basically telling us from the Lightfoot side, Mayor Lightfoot side, that he supports her because she's going to take on the hard issues and you'll be able to bring businesses back into the city because he has one in Brazil. You can't build a city or a civilization without having citizens learn lessons through schooling and keeping criminals off streets. And as you called it, Dan, and as we all knew over the weekend, uh, Mayor Candidate Paul Vallis didn't disappoint because I knew this would happen. You have to have the courage of your convictions. If you're going to be willing to cut down one of your core beliefs in life of free speech, you have no representation to any normal citizen that is thinking and functioning above an eighth grade level. It was absolutely pathetic. Thank you for my, your, my time, guys. Thanks for the call, Greg. I wonder if maybe Paul Valls could be asked this question. I think every kid in every zip code in every state should have access to every education opportunity possible. I guess for some, that isn't the consensus view. That's a tweet by Joe Biden in the direction of Ron DeSantis. Uh, Joe Biden is an opponent of school choice. Ron DeSantis is a proponent of school choice, which is expanded under his leadership in Florida. Paul Vallis says he's a proponent of school choice. Does he agree with right wing extremist Ron DeSantis or does he agree with his president, Joe Biden? Just got an email from the Vallis campaign. Former assistant state's attorney, 2019 mayoral candidate Jerry Joyce is now endorsing Vallis for mayor. Yeah, that's old news. Oh, it just came out. Yeah, so I mean, it's old news, a scuttlebutt, the former press, the formal press release. Uh, Paul Vallis came up as uh, Jeremiah Joyce, state senator Jeremiah Joyce, who was a daily confidant, his legislative assistant. Yeah, so the um, the South Side. The honkies on the south side are going with a hawking candidate. Wow, that's big news. Mm. Big news. And but, but Paul Vallis is not going to be for the system. He's of the system, but he's not of the system, we're to believe. He's of the system, but he's going to make a paradigm shift in, a, in all of these areas. Because he's a big reformer, because he's got, you know, White papers and four-point plans in every topic area. Right. Except the one thing he doesn't have, and the one thing that those two flacks, one for Garcia and one for Lightfoot, lack and lack an understanding of, as they so uh, illustrated with their remarks, is that none of those candidates have any character. So I, I guess uh, character doesn't matter again. I know sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Amoral, transactional politicians. That's what we need. Like Rom. Like Ronner. Like Daly. That's how we salvage the city. 
Okay. Is that is that what you're saying? If that's what you're saying, why don't you just say it straight away rather than offering all this contrived, high-minded rhetoric? Kevin, Austin, Texas. Yeah, the, uh, I was commenting on the Don Lemon quote. It was politically, politically, politically expedient at the time because Obama probably gave one of his speeches. That was during the time of Obama. So it was a Democratic talking point at the time. Right. That's what Don – yeah. So that's exactly what it is. I just want to point that out. And then that's on when, the, that's uh, when uh, right. That's when Obama wanted to put a marker down on this, you know, on his way out the door to say, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the black family matters and black dads in the house matter. And so I just wanted uh, everybody to know that as if as if his family didn't provide an example of that. But like like North Shore honkies, he didn't want to express in theory what he did in practice because he didn't want to make right. anybody feel it, bad about themselves. He didn't want to say anything's then, better than anything else. Right. And then every and every uh, West Shore that being old park mother was agreeing with it. Like, you know what? You know, I've got white guilt. I, I agree with this guy. It's awesome. But now they're uh, now they're saying now they're agreeing with whatever the uh, what do they call them? The Cypers say at this time. So anyhow. Right. Yes. Thanks. Thanks. Right. They're, they're, I mean, that's 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 why that's what a cult is. They're just there to repeat lines. They're not there to do any thinking. And they're certainly not there to reflect on what their thinking was at one point versus what their thinking is at another point. That's how you can get away with uh, holding yourself accountable. And nobody does it better than Chicagoans. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, when they came for Theodore Geiser, you know, Dr. Seuss. Yep. You knew they'd uh, get around to Roald Dahl as well. Roald Dahl uh, wrote books like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, and everybody's read that. James and the Giant Peach. Well, they're being scrubbed by sensitivity experts to remove language that is offensive, including words like fat or ugly. Also making the Oompa Loompas gender neutral. Weren't they always gender neutral? The wonderful, world, the wonderful words of Roald Dahl can transport you to different worlds and introduce you to the most marvelous characters. This book was rewritten many years ago, and so we regularly review the language to ensure that it, continued, it can continue to be enjoyed today. Sure, without these uh, Orwellian minders uh, updating the lingo. Could not be enjoyed by kids. So the chick who ate the blueberry candy who exploded is no longer fat, but they're going to change that to enormous. Mm-hmm. Mm, and the Oompa Loompa are not small men. They're small people. Okay. Yeah. Um, gender references have also been neutralized not to offend women or the transgender community. In The Witches, a section saying witches are bald beneath their wigs has a new disclaimer. Yeah. Quote, there are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Okay. It's like an episode of Seinfeld. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, of course not. 
disclaimer uh, after every line in James the Giant Peach and Witches and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh-huh. Um, Matthew Dennison, who's a Roald Dahl biographer, said um, in the most muted tone you can say it and be, you know, the most muted critical tone you can say something that uh, lodges disagreement. He's almost certain that Roald Dahl would have recognized the alterations to his novels prompted by the political climate were driven by adults rather than children. No, you don't say. Mm -hmm. So uh, banning Dr. Seuss books as a half a dozen were discontinued last year because of racist overtones, allegedly. Uh, and rewriting those that will stay in circulation if they are to stay in circulation. Children's books. Mm. Got to get to the kids. And, of course, that uh, is a perfect segue to our discussion with our next guest, which is the rewriting of history. Uh, it's not just for Nicole Hannah-Jones. It's also for Ken Burns, as Amity Schles writes in City Journal. Ken Burns, the famed documentarian, has a new documentary out about the Holocaust, which Amity took up. Amity Schles is board chair of the Calvin Coolidge Presidential Foundation, winner of the Hayek Prize, and best-selling author of The Forgotten Man, A New History of the Great Depression, and Great Society, A New History. Amity, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. So glad to be here. So, um... With the the purge that continues uh, of uh, fictional literature from that are that is uh, oriented towards kids on up, uh, we also have uh, running on a parallel track the rewriting of American history, um, in large measure to cast the United States as the villain in most of the history that is attendant to its existence. And Ken Burns, you argue, is doing. Something along those lines in his new documentary, The U.S. and the Holocaust. Well, The U.S. and the Holocaust is worth paying attention to. It's uh, over 360 minutes, Ken Burns special, and it's being disseminated to classrooms. Of course. Um, so it's, it's, more, it's a course in addition to being a TV show. And as we know, school teachers get their culture from PBS. It's PBS. And what's very disappointing about it. It has a great treatment of the Holocaust. Yes, the Holocaust really happened. But it, the film effectively blames America for the Holocaust. We didn't do enough, so it's kind of our fault. By innuendo, I would add, and in very partisan fashion, that is, Republicans are responsible for the Holocaust, not Democrats. Yeah. The, the, which is, it, and, and, you know, somehow Donald Trump is in there. Is that useful? You know, so so uh, what we noticed at the Coolidge Foundation, which is a presidential history entity, was that um, the the documentary signs Calvin Coolidge for signing a restriction of immigration in the Johnson Reed Act of 1924. Also, by the way, uh, treats Hoover even worse. You can be support immigration restriction without being a bigot. It's not necessarily an equal sign when you say, well, maybe America should have a pause now in immigration. That's effectively what Coolidge was saying by signing that act. Uh, and therefore, we restricted immigration in 1924 under a law. And this 
um, in the Burns logic, which involves moving time and space in some creative ways, caused uh, what went on in concentration camps in darkest Poland in 1942. How does Byrne connect those dots exactly? With difficulty, but he has good pens, funded by every Jewish group I can think of who are rightly concerned, these groups, of that America's forgetting the Holocaust. But what Burns does is says, our restriction of immigration meant that foreigners, including European Jews, could not get into the U.S. a generation after we decided to restrict immigration. Um, that kind of forgets the fact that German Jews in the 20s, by and large, could immigrate to the U.S. They chose not to. We're not blaming them. But it, it, the administration that didn't change the immigration policy happened to be the Roosevelt administration. Oh, well, that was a choice by President Roosevelt. The film is also hard on the, the State Department and the WASPs in it. That's sort of the way um, Burns has a thing against Anglo-Saxon Protestants. But because he do, I, it, it seems he doesn't want to blame, blame Roosevelt for in real time keeping the door shut. But uh, one ends up feeling, watching this film, quite sympathetic to Roosevelt, who did choose to deal with the Holocaust in a rather costly way for the country, which is World War II. So the hundreds of thousands of Americans who went over there are kind of ignored because, um, you know, we tried to end the Holocaust through a terrible sacrifice joining Britain in the war. And we did, by the way. That is, we stopped the bad Germans for do, from doing what they were doing in that time. But the suggestion in the film is we ought to have gone in, I don't know, behind the lines with refugee rescuers and brought um, the poor people of Eastern Europe over to the States. That wasn't exactly possible. Uh, Auschwitz wasn't even in bombing range for, for a long time. Um, there's a weird suggestion in this film that we might have bombed Auschwitz. Oh, great. We would have bombed the inmates as well as the Nazis. So there's a kind of self-righteous current logic informing this film. And because it's so long, I, I, there's no question schools are going to use this material for decades and over weeks in courses. It, 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 what I say in conclusion and it's, um, is that the argument is so twisted and so and so shaming, so much assigning blame to the U.S. that kids are just not going to remember the Holocaust at all. Who wants to be told they're they're bad and something that happened in 1940 is their fault? Not even Germans, right? So 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 how can American kids accept that? And it's all conflated with American racism. We were racist. We signed on to eugenics. We forcibly sterilized. For young ladies and men, we did that. It's true. Our states did that. We regret it. It was wrong. It has nothing to do with what the Nazis did, really. The you know, Nazis were an insane version. Well, of course. But, you, you know, it's interesting, too, um, the uh, eugenics that uh, still goes on in this country. Um, I mean, there's, there's legitimate issues to uh, elevate and discuss what the U.S. could have done and so on and so forth, uh, what the U.S what the options were, did they make the right choice? I mean, that's all part of dis discussing history, and that's all well and good. And there are some, you know, and, and we're, we're hardly, uh, we're just a bunch of sinners like everybody else all over the world. We do terrible things to ourselves and other people, too, and have. Um, but for all of the hand-wringing about eugenics, I wonder what uh, Ken Burns would say 
about the Buck v. Bell decision, which has not been overturned by the Supreme Court, despite Roe v. Wade being overturned. Oh, well, yeah, there, there, yeah, are, there, that, wait, there, there are more there are 31 states in the country today that still have forcible sterilization laws on the books for people with disabilities. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, it, life is complicated and you have to look at life in the period that you're describing. The eugenics movement was very unfortunate. By the way, it was mostly led by progressives and it needs to be changed. Margaret Sanger. Um, it, uh, it, it, every, every statute needs to be gone. It isn't. But the impulse, and, and, and why am I even paying attention to this? It's a good question. But I think it's because we, America, um, at the end of the Great Society, into the Nixon years, created PBS and gave partisan progressivism this tremendous platform. And there is no contrary other side or common sense version of what happened in the 20s and the 30s here. By and large, the U.S. is what is not a murderously racist country. We had lynching. It diminished, for example, in the 20s of the Coolidge period, which uh, burned so slimes. He also blames Hoover for deporting millions or makes the suggestion, a lot of it's by innuendo, that Hoover deported millions of Mexicans back to Mexico. Some, maybe in the hundreds of thousands, of uh, Mexicans did return to Mexico. It's not clear why or how, but it's pretty clear that if anyone did it, that is, some of them were volunteers, it was states and localities, by and large, with minimal intervention from the federal government. So, so what the film does effectively is say, Foolish bad racist, Hoover bad racist, um, anyone but Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt bad racist. And, and to tell kids that um, is very offensive. And I'm not clear why we've given PBS, why we, why we created PBS when I see these things as much as we love it. And a lot of us love Ken Burns. His Huey Long documentary early is fabulous. And I recommend it to everyone, yeah, but his, he's out of control with this his, show. His documentary on baseball is good too, but he's a man of the left. And so this is what you're going to get as well, particularly when he wants to be considered like a serious man of the left and he's advanced and wants to use, and he's probably under pressure to use his standing to advance their, um, uh, you know, uh, hatred of America. Frankly, I don't know how else to say it because you know I, I'm I look for a forthcoming documentary from from Ken Burns about how the Clinton administration was racist for not intervening intervening in the Rwandan genocide, or the Biden administration for not uh, what scrambling our resources to evac the Uyghur Muslims from China. I mean, you know, you you can play this this out over all sorts of atrocities committed the world over under. Uh, you know, every presidential regime since the nation's founding. And so it, it seems to me it's a little bit of 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 cherry picking in terms of any real understanding of, um, uh, uh, you know, the limitations of American power, the decision making that goes into when to inter when to intervene in another country's affairs and so forth. It's a disingenuous, feel-good sanctimony. You save the earth if you recycle appropriately. Or, you know, you save the earth if you show disrespect to previous presidents. 
what what Coolidge did, because it's President's Day, I'll say, and I went into this project as chairman of the Coolidge Foundation. Coolidge, as if he were a stock, he'd be a buy. He's a low ranker. What Coolidge did was he said, I'm going to build up the U.S. so it can be a model of freedom, a light in the world, city on a hill. And he actually did that. That is, he helped immigrant Americans in America, and there were plenty at that time, to find their way, to get jobs, to go to graduate school, to invent things, and um, become prosperous. It, it, so, so why trash him? I mean, you know, if you go back and look at Coolidge's speeches, he um, very much admired, for example, Jews. There's a wonderful speech he gave where he said to the Jewish community, uh, philanthropic community, the same one that's funding. Ken Burns, I want you to know I feel you are making good citizens. You are building hospitals. You are taking care of poor people. I respect you and your contribution in the country. And he did that for every ethnic group. Hmm. So so why, why say into the garbage pail with these past presidents? I'm waiting for the Hoover lobby and Margaret Hoover, the heroine descendant, huh. to, to defend to defend uh, Hoover, who's trashed worth because he has a millions word attached to his name in this show. Um, but even the Rooseveltians should stand up and say, well, look, we did, Roosevelt did call us to sacrifice to save Europe, and we did, and he did. Um, but instead, it's a, a sour bitterness of our, um, about our own imperfections, and that's no way to teach little kids history, or big kids, or adults. Speaking of uh, polluting a, a brand, Margaret Hoover is the host of Firing Line on PBS. Oh my goodness, what a uh, what a what a commentary that is on the descent in intellectual heft at PBS and everywhere else in this culture, from William F. Buckley to Margaret Hoover. Good grief. Well, I'm not going to trash Margaret. I will. Um, I think she's fabulous. I think no, well, she's I fabulous. Don't. But 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 consistent. Uh, your point is that their consistent, high quality discussion, full of substance, is really rare. Um, and it's definitely. It's almost like the the non left is silenced on it. You have to be either furious and angry, or you don't get to speak because you're a boring professor. So on the on you know if you're not a left leaning progressive, and that's a problem. When we ha we had a Coolidge conference this week with the Library of Congress, God bless them, our partner, and we had real substance. We spent a whole hour on the tax treatment of capital gains in the 1920s, which, by the way, was saved by the Harding administration, another president who needs revision. Um, there was they were going to treat capital gains, which is a very important tax for any business and any family investing as ordinary income. And the ordinary income tax was over 50%. And the administration came along and said, no, it's going to be 12.5% that rate, which is, by the way, lower than the cap gains rates today. And Congress went along, and that made Henry Ford more possible, made the expansion of Henry Ford, not just the assembly line, but also the cap gains rate. The capital gains tax rate matters to business and quite a bit. Um, so we had an hour um, with a, a fellow named Jim Lucier who looked into it for us, a tax expert, on that that kind of discussion where you're talking actually about legislation rather than blaming other people on the air is, is almost not allowed nowadays, which which means younger people are, are deprived of, of uh, I don't know, um, of data points and of, of a model of, of logical thought. 
Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's a different era. We have perfect people in charge uh, these days, unlike we did a century yeah. ago. That's the difference. Uh, Amity Schley's no. board chair of the Calvin Coolidge Presidential Foundation, winner of the Hayek Prize and bestselling author of both The Forgotten Man as well as Great Society, A New History. Amity, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on President's Day, friend. And there she joined go. us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Hazardous materials expert Sil Caggiano went on Tucker Carlson on Friday to uh, explain his nuke-to-town, quote-unquote, comment that he made to a local ABC affiliate in uh, East Palestine, Ohio, after the decision was made to do a controlled release and burn of the chemicals, the hazardous chemicals that were contained in that Norfolk Southern train that derailed. Uh, Here's what he meant by that comment that he made. News media were not being told the truth. Days into this, no, uh, you know, con- train consist was available. They didn't know what they had. And, you know, that flies in the face of logic. If you're going to mitigate a problem, if you're going to have your fire department and other, you know, responding teams take care of it, you should know what the heck you've got. And it got to the point where they were showing me pictures of train cars, the local media, and I was identifying what was in based on UNID numbers or train car numbers. And when they told me their plan, you know, at that point you had a few cars burning. Uh, they had unmonitored hand lines there keeping the tankers cool. And then I find out that they're pulling the unmonitored t- uh, hand lines keeping the tankers cool. And so that's just going to cause the, uh, the tanker cars to heat up, which they did. And then they announced that one was during, you know, very near catastrophic failure. And I said, well, if they don't put water back on it, it's going to continue to heat up and it's going to what's called a blevy and it's going to damage other containers. And then I was told, no, they're going to detonate all these cars so that that doesn't happen. What does Caggiano want? What does he say should be the protocol? Everything was drips and dribbles. Instead of, you know, one of the things I learned is you tell the truth, you tell it all, you tell it first, and you tell them how you're going to solve the problem. And none of that was forthcoming. And I began to worry about, you know, what the end result with this was going to be. They had evacuated one mile, and I was telling the media they better do like one and a half, two miles. Well, subsequently after that, they went to two miles. And then within a few minutes, they were bringing, or a few days, they were bringing everybody back. And that was pretty much just in time to open up the rails. And there was no testing. There's got to be some plan going forward in this cleanup and recovery to test. Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, was on Fox and Friends over the weekend. And uh, here's his plan. Uh, look, here, here's kind of where we are. Uh, we continue to monitor the air. The air is good. Uh, we've gone into uh, hundreds and hundreds of people's houses to, to test that air. It's good. Uh, we got the results back. Who's testing back. it? Uh, who's t- testing it? Let me just... I'm, I'm sorry? Can you tell me who's testing the air? Yeah, the te- testing, we're, we're doing, doing the... There's dual testing being going on every single time. The railroad has people testing, but the most important thing, I think, for the public is uh, that our, e- our Ohio EPA is doing the testing of the air. Uh, so we've got monitors all over, all over the, the village. Uh, the water we have tested, 
comes back uh, good. Uh, we are telling people that if you're on the, the city water, the village water, uh, you certainly can drink that. Uh, we are testing anybody who has a private well. Mm -hmm. We're going out and testing that. Water's good, air's good. Yeah. Um, but FEMA, you know, they changed course and now they're sending help. Uh, problem with the water's good, air's good is then you have uh, other politicians like Senator Sherrod Brown, Ohio, saying people are right to be skeptical about the drinking water. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by owner and founder of HazSim, a training device for first responders, founder of Hazmat Nation, and current battalion chief in Southern California, Phil Ambrose. Phil, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you. Um, what's your reaction to, well, what you heard there from the Haz, Hazard Materials expert and the governor and what you've seen over the last week in East Palestine? Um, again, again, I need to start. You introed me. I'm in Southern California, so I'm nowhere near this, uh, this right. incident, right? So I have no direct knowledge. So we're just getting what we see from the news. I, I, I think um, interesting and not, say, surprising, but I'm, I'm not sure if he had all the information from the scene. I, um, I, I can speak here not as an expert in that incident at all, but as far as the training and the response and what goes into making those decisions like what was made. And so I, I question a little, I, I, I question what I just heard because I hadn't heard that yet. Um, and I've been following the rest of it. And what a, what a horrible situation for anybody that was impacted, that lived there, uh, that has family there. And then, of course, the, the responders because um, – I can relate. I'm, I'm one of them. It's, uh, uh, you know, the responding, that's a career incident, a, a uh, high risk yet low ref, uh, low frequency incident. That's uh, they're tough. Well, uh, we had a toxicologist, uh, Dr. William Sawyer on the show on Friday. And as to the decision to do the controlled release and burn, he said um, that was the wrong decision, and he wasn't on site either. So that was the, the wrong decision. There were other options. So the presentation of either we blow it up or it blows up on its own was a false choice, essentially. Uh, I listened to that. I heard Dr. Sorin when it came into the polymerization. Um, I know you asked him that question, and he took a right turn towards um, toxicology, which is, which is good. He's staying in his lane. But uh, I questioned that. I think... The controlled release phrase, I, I didn't come up with that. I, I don't know if the media did or they did at the scene, but it reminds me of, uh, you know, the, the phrase controlled burn that everybody's more used to, right, yeah, with right. our brush fires out here where you're, you're taking some sort of risk to, to fight fire with fire. In this case, um, it was to avoid, uh, and it was just mentioned in this last one, that blevy, there was, it was definitely a decision. Those chemicals involve... Um, in our emergency response guidebook that, that even the first and honestly, heck, even the first police officer may have in their patrol unit, uh, when you look up those chemicals, there's a P next to, um, and it, it's kept very basic with large exclusion zones because the, the emergency response guidebook is designed just for that, you know, somebody that's first arriving on the scene and then it's used later on. But there's a big P next to a lot of those chemicals, and that P means polymerization. And polymerization creates a whole lot of heat. It's it's a process that if you know you're using some epoxy in your garage to put something back together, you broke, you notice it, but it's not really a big deal. Now we're talking about a whole lot of it. So um, I would 
from everything I've seen, and I wasn't there, I can speak to at least how those decisions are, um, you know, how how you get to those decisions. But I would say it was it was actually looks like a looked like a a good idea considering the scenarios, meaning um, letting that thing go off itself and then spreading those contaminants, spreading shrapnel, all those things that um, had the potential to happen. But there, there you, was there was there was no other option. I mean, there was talk of like you know foaming this uh, combustible situation or so, something like that. There was it was it was blow blow or be blown. Is that what, what you think? that that I I don't mean to pick on another caller because I guess they could do the same for me. But that's that would not be an applicable use of foam um, at all. Okay. I mean, most of us are used to foam in our lattes, right? But. Um, and you get that that cool little foam at the top of your coffee before you get the hot stuff. But no, uh, foam for, would be when there's not active flame. And in that situation, if there wasn't active flame, you're putting that blanket of foam. The whole idea is to suppress the vapors that could ignite. Um, but if you have something that's already getting to temperature, and if you, as you heard, at least you know the feed. What I'm getting from all the news sources is that this was heating up, and that's easy to tell, meaning you can hit a heat gun on it. There's, it's, 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 um, that's not hard data to get. And if it's heating up and you apply foam, that wouldn't necessarily be the right application of foam. Plus, foam in and of itself, depending on what type you're using, can create a contamination issue in and of itself. Um, so foam would have been, and I wasn't there, but foam would have been really low on my list of, of things to do. Now it's a, it's a correct application for the right. Uh, if we say how to fuel spill, um, we're talking gasoline that goes in the car and it, and, and it was leaking and it was cool and it hadn't found an ignition source, we'd of course lay that blanket in a foam. Um, if you've flown an aircraft and, and you had the unfortunate, you know, if you saw any sort of crash and they, they get out there and they throw that blanket of foam, that's to suppress the, uh, the, the vapors that could ignite. So in this situation, from everything that I've seen, uh, foam would have been a, 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 I don't think a very, very good option. I'm, I'm sure they might have had it on their list, and and that's what we do on something like that. What's called a unified response and managing that incident is go through all of those scenarios and kick them around. So you know what chemicals were released into the air. Knowing that, if you lived in East Palestine, would you stay there, or would you uh, move somewhere else temporarily if you could? Well, I live actually right near a large refinery here, and believe it or not, in California, actually a couple between the two. Um, I, In this case, I know that they've been monitoring, and this is not my total expertise, but the EPA has those the airplanes that fly. I'll just use a real example I know. Of. We use their planes during significant events out here, even um, large-scale events like, say, a Super Bowl, uh, where we're looking and we're, we're more concerned about a release due to terrorism, they'll fly these planes that has a complete lab inside of the plane. And my understanding, their job is to find something. They, they want to find something in the air uh, to know that it's there, and they're going to define the polluter for it. So from what I understand, testing is being done, but I understand why people would be concerned. I, I totally do just because um, it's different. Myself, I've, been in the industry and, and kind of lived it. Um, what? So uh, I, I would want to know. I, I would want to know the test, um, which I think they've been releasing. And what I also don't know, compared to living in the big city where we might have just one, say, 
water source, uh, a water treatment facility, they may have several. So I think as long as all those are tests and it comes back um, good, I would I would feel comfortable. Um, just as a quick tangent, uh, Gavin Newsom hasn't yet yet tasked you to blow up those refineries you live next to. No, no, that's not yet. Not yeah, yet. but the, they're there. You know, it's it's part of the the life we we live in. It's it's. Um, I mean, I thought a lot about that because somebody had asked me even the products that were on that train. I mean, these are these aren't things that are going. These are these are part of our life. Meaning they're 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 nasty chemicals that ultimately make products that make our life better, and they got to go down the road. So it's. Would would, um, would you have I'm any concerns? Sure the answer to that one. Would you have any concerns about latency with respect to these chemicals? Like there's not an immediate uh, contamination of drinking water or the air, but um, that could develop over time as this thing burns out? So in, to, to, to rephrase your question, or to make sure I understand the question, just say long-term effects. Yeah, I mean, basically, because DeWine is saying, you know, the food, I mean, island approach. Yeah, well, well, I mean, DeWine's saying uh, air good, water good. If air and water are good now, does that mean they're going to continue to be good going forward? Oh, I'd, I'd want them tested, but I'd, I'd like that they're tested everywhere where everybody lives because, you know, um, air, you know, air, weather, things moving around, but as, as uh, things settled, from my understanding of looking at this, that that worst best option they had at least kept everything contained. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And just you know, historically, the immediate location. I don't know what the extent they say the diameter that is of of where it happened. There'll be some soils remediation. Um, downwind, I believe, you know, that horrible option they had to choose definitely reduced the amount of chemicals and. Of course, I think we all have that cumulative uptake. I, I, that's a tough one for me to answer because I've had people ask me that question while they're smoking a cigarette. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> it wow. depends on <laughs> meaning. Um, there's lots of, you know, you, you got to take care of yourself anyhow. But as far as the long-term effects of this, I, I know that the water will be tested. I know that the soils will be tested. And I, just from studying this for years, I know we're in a much better place than we had been years and years ago and much better place than a lot of other countries. How does the chain of command work? Uh, uh, the, William Sawyer, we talked to on Friday, said ultimately it's a Department of Transportation call because it's a, a, a train derailment. Um, so how, how does that work between EPA, first responders, Department of Transportation, and something like this? That's a great question, and I think this is something that probably should be highlighted because when it comes to the incident in, in over time, sure, DOT, EPA, um, and then the regulators who are either going to, to find the involved or assist in the cleanup. But that initial response, that that train derailment, um, the, the first in folks on scene were likely just regular police officers, firefighters. Uh, some may have had hazardous materials training. I guarantee you they had, they had had some, at least a little bit of awareness training for the railroads because we're always looking at um, knowing our target hazards, which means they, I'm sure they knew that the rail goes through that town. It's kind of obvious to everybody because the horn um, honking and going through town. But the very first in responders were just the local communities 
And then as they build this incident, we call it, you know, incident management, ICS. So immediately for myself, something similar to this or any sort of industrial, you're going to want the the the, the sneeze from that company on CNY because they're chemists, they know that product best. We're also going to be reaching out to other sources. Uh, you can call them independent sources, but other areas we can get information on that product. But it's going to take some time to get those folks on scene. So those initial actions, which would include um, isolation and evacuation of the immediate area. And remember I referred to that emergency response guidebook. That's where somebody's looking in that going, well, I've got a tank of this, and it's telling me, you know, 100 yards, a mile, um, evacuations. And all those things take a little bit of, of time because now it's it's going to be taxing on that 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 first-in community because there's there might also be other calls in their community. So those the first, I'm not sure about this one. The beauty is there'll be a full report, and it's something I'm going to want to read. How how many minutes? How many hours until? Some other industry folks were on scene, and ultimately, when they made that decision in an incident command like that, we go into what's called unified response, where you'll have everyone from the local community and the experts. But I can speak for out here in uh, California. What that unified response means, though, is the, the 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 stakeholders all have a seat at the table, but. It was that initial, uh, whether it would be the township there or the county, it was their handle, meaning they, they're going to take in all that information. But um, I think a misconception is the feds just come in and take over scenes. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. He is Phil Ambrose, owner and founder of HazSim, a training device for first responders, also the founder of Hazmat Nation, and he's current battalion chief in Southern California. Phil Ambrose, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.